My job isn't to go there and make people laugh. My job is to make the job of the person who booked us easier because that person is running around making sure that the CEO has got a good seat. You are listening to One More Question, a podcast by NiceWork, a branding and service design company. One of the things we do best is asking our clients the right questions. This podcast came about because we wanted to share some of the best answers that we've heard over the last 12 years. We talked to significant creators, experts, and communicators who we've encountered, and we share the useful insights, inspirations, and facts that made us stop and take notes as we go about our work. I'm your host, Ross Drakes. Today I'm talking to a man who's quite hard to introduce due to the sheer number of things he's achieved in his life. So I've picked out just a few to introduce him with. I'm speaking to Donovan Goliath, who is a comedian, an MC, the co-owner of the Melville Comedy Club, and the comedy brand Goliath and Goliath. Not only that, he's also a rising social media star with his character Donny Custard. We chat about how he chose to leave his career in advertising to build one of the strongest brands in the South African comedy scene how they went from printing out their own posters all the way to having one of the largest comedy clubs in Melrose Arch in Johannesburg. We chat about the Wu-Tang Clan logo and how that can affect your personal branding. And we talk about how you can use different channels on social media to explore alternative outputs for your creativity. Please enjoy. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, so at this point, you can picture that we've done like a flawless introduction of you. Okay. The, the audience is set up and primed. Mm-hmm. They're, they're literally like they've pulled their car over on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. They're ready for you to kind of take the, the stage. In this case, the stage is the, the sound system in their Toyota Corolla. Perfect. 1987. It's blue. Got it. Um, so thank you very much for coming on the show. Done. <laughs> um, yeah, I think one of the things we talked about when when we started, you know, kind of pre-talk is is understanding you were going to give us a little bit of insight into the journey of like Goliath and a Goliath, or well, Goliath and Goliath from like a concept yep. into a brand into the the sprawling media empire that it is today. Damn. Did you just say sprawling media empire? Yeah. I like that. We're going to use that. <laughs> We're going to use that. We're doing these business sessions now um, okay. with, with a company and they've kind of given us a, in a single line, you know, they've asked us to try and identify ourselves. How would you describe yourselves? And the thing that they've come up with is um, creative experience pioneers, something like that. Okay. That's pretty badass, man. Creative, creative experience pioneers yeah i don't know we're still trying to break it down we're just like okay there's some good thoughts in there you got they, the creativity yeah experiences yeah. are hot right now yeah pioneer yes. means you can always change whatever you're doing always also means your clothing can be slightly dirty on occasion yeah you're a pioneer man yeah <laughs> but um yeah man going back to goliath and goliath um so um you know just to take it a couple of steps back, I worked in advertising for about seven years. I worked as an art director at Network BBDO and um, never, never been interested in doing stand-up comedy. You know, um, always been the funny guy, always been the guy who likes attention and likes the last laugh, but never, ever thought that I would get into this. You know, I come from a small town. I'm from Mtada in the Eastern Cape. You know, it's never been an option for me. And until 2011, I'd never watched 
2010 actually, I'd never watched a live stand-up comedy show. And I watched a guy perform once, um, his name's Tolas Mo, and he was just telling stories about his life. And I'm watching this guy, I'm like, man, this is so fantastic. I wasn't even laughing, I was just so, um, just so engaged in what he was talking about. And I'm sitting there with a friend of mine and fellow, uh, my colleague, Liam Olding, uh, copywriter, and I was like, yo man, we can do this. You know, We've got interesting stories to tell. You're from Springs, I'm from Umtata. We could do a two-man show because I've never seen one of those. Let's write five minutes and try and perform this thing. Um, because honestly, he's just telling stories about his life and people are killing themselves. Yeah. And at the time, I was like, these don't even look like jokes. You know, I didn't understand the, the levels to comedy, you know, and there are many different styles. So we find, uh, we book a spot at Cool Runnings, the underground, which was still hot at the time. Yeah. That's the, the mecca, you know, of, of, of uh, stand-up comedy in Joburg at the time. And two weeks before we were supposed to jump on, <laughs> Liam pulls out and leaves me to do this thing on my own. So I'd already written, it taken me about a month to write a five minute set. And it was just a set about me and where I'm from and what it was like growing up, where I grew up. Um, anyway, went on stage, did the thing. People loved it. I got booked for another gig the next day. Um, and it slowly started, you know, here and there, we'd do a couple of gigs, but just five minutes because that's the... That's the international rule, you know, that's all five you get. Minutes. Five minutes, that's it. You know, you gotta, you gotta kill the audience in five minutes. And um, I had heard of Jason Goliath, not heard of him, actually. I just, I, his name kept coming up on Facebook. You know, I thought I was the only Goliath in, in, in Joburg and I'd see this name and I didn't really know who he was. And he'd been doing a lot of TV commercials at the time. And, uh, he then, um, Nicholas Goliath, who's the, the third, the other Goliath, who's yeah. Jason's cousin, and we're not related, by the way, at all. We just happen to have the same surname. Um, they um, had been going to Cool Runnings quite a bit, and um, over, over a couple of beers, uh, Nicholas um, booked, or had, they had a conversation with Jason, and they decided that they want to also, you know, jump, get into this thing, and uh, Nicholas booked this gig, and uh, told Jason about it and they jumped on and then they started doing comedy. I'd still never met them at the time. And then one day at Cool Runnings, met Jason. I'm like, hey, 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 what's up? You know, seen you before, you friends with this person, blah, 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 blah. And we hit it off immediately. We became friends, you know, and, you know, we'd hang out, we'd chat. And uh, I then got introduced to Nicholas later on. And Nicholas then came up with this idea um, the, the problem at the time was with stand-up comedy, you'd have to wait for about two months before you jumped on anywhere. There just weren't a lot of gigs going around. So you'd only get a five-minute gig every two months. Yeah, but you'd have to beg for it. You know, you'd have to be there early. Hopefully somebody wouldn't show up or there'd be like some time for you to jump on. So it was a bit frustrating, you know, to take you a very long time to build yourself up. So, um, you know, the, the, the guys came up with this idea of, you know, what happens if we started our own gig? just so that we could have a space to perform on, <laughs> you know, and, you know, we I started, like if you don't have a stage, just create, yeah, just make one, you know, and, you know, we went, we, we, we kind of, you know, we performed in various, in various spaces and, uh, you know, we were like, okay, cool. You need a microphone. You need, you need some chairs, you know, seat that people would be seated cinema style. Cause it always makes it easier and a little stage and a light, you know, or two, and that's all you need, you know, and just come with your jokes. Put together our first lineup and uh, we started this gig called a Wednesday. Um, you know, we combined the words aware and Wednesday. 
And um, that was our first gig ever in Hill Fox at Capello's, a restaurant in, in, in Hill Fox. And look, man, when I say that, that's honestly one of the best gigs we've ever done. It happened once a month, every Wednesday, and we built a cult following. You know, that, that gig ended up moving to, to many different spaces, four, I think four or five different spaces. You know, every time we'd, 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 we'd have the gig, for some strange reason, the restaurant or wherever we were having it would, would have problems and they would shut down and then we would move on to the next yeah, space. So you guys like a bit of a curse. Maybe, around, I like, don't know. Shutting down Gift or curse, who knows? <laughs> you know? And uh, we, yeah, our audience just followed us and it just grew and grew and grew. But there was something so magical about that one. And, you know, we, we, we soon realized that this was becoming a thing. And, uh, you know, we'd, uh, we'd then have to make this a little bit official. So we, we started brainstorming some names for ourselves, you know, because, you know, we, we couldn't just go out and, you know, set up this gig. And, and you know, if people asked who was bringing it. Uh, who was, you know, uh, responsible for this, we'd, we'd have to have an official name and logo to, to back it up. So we'd brainstorm a lot of names and, you know, we, in the beginning, we'd come up with names like Goliath Incorporated, uh, <laughs> Goliath Brothers, you know, we sounded like a law firm. And uh, I'll never forget, we were sitting, Jason and I were sitting at the car wash one day, um, washing our cars and we're still coming up with these names. And a friend of mine suggests the name Goliath and Goliath. Because uh, it's such an interesting spin on the classic David and Goliath, you know. Um, and, you know, we sat and it had a nice ring to it. It just, it just looked good. And in my mind, I could envision the logo. It's like a perfect, 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 like two words that look exactly the same. This because the symmetry here. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. So we sat and I, um, I had my MacBook at the time and then I pulled out my computer and played around with a couple of logo options and eventually came up with, uh, with our logo, which was yellow and black. And the reason it was yellow and black, two reasons, actually. I was a big fan of Wu-Tang Clan. Um, the first time I saw their logo, yellow and black, it just blew my mind, you know, just how crisp and strong it was. Those two colors worked so well together. But uh, because we perform in a lot of dark spaces, you know, we, we, we needed something that would kick. And we also needed a different way now to advertise ourselves. So we went different. We weren't going to go flyers or posters or any one of those things. We made t-shirts and uh, this was like the last bit of money that we had. We printed a couple of t-shirts. We put black t-shirts with the yellow logo on um, that we'd give to the staff wherever we were performing. And it was yellow on black because the spaces are dark. So if anybody took a picture, um, that logo would always kick yes. and kind of hijack So you actually used picture. to give the t-shirts to the people who worked at the comedy club. So yes. they'd all be decked out in your branded gear. Because yeah. who doesn't like a free t-shirt? Exactly. You know, and they look pretty cool, you know. And so, yeah, everybody would give everybody a t-shirt. The barman would get a t-shirt. The waiters, whoever it was, would get a t-shirt if you were working there. Um, That's such a clever marketing spend. Simple. Like, <laughs> like a, a bold logo on like a simple thing. Yeah. I suppose you've also got the thing going for you that, that um, Jason is basically a billboard. Pretty much. So essentially you've got like 120,000 rand a month's worth of media. Absolutely. For free. <laughs> But uh, the other thing we did, which we never really talk about a lot, is, you know, we, we learned as we, as we were going through this thing, you know, what, what makes an event successful. And one of the things that at every event that we had been to um, that was, you know, always there was a photo wall. People always wanted to have a, their picture taken at a photo wall and we couldn't afford to, you know, print a massive banner um, with our logo on. So 
we went to PostNet and um, I'd uh, put our logo on, you know, multicolored blocks and we printed about 30 of them on um, A4 pieces of paper. <laughs> we would carry these in a flip file and stick them up individually against a wall oh, just outside wall. the venue to make a photo wall. <laughs> and people loved it. They came, they saw that. In fact, it's so weird how people gravitated towards it yeah. and took pictures, you know. Um, I don't think it's also, it's, it's like it feels super authentic. Like It does. People are just like, oh, that's cool. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, it's just something so that. different, you know. Um, and we'd use that for about two months. But the problem with Prestic is that eventually that oily residue starts coming through and, you know, you'd, you'd start seeing it popping up in the corners. And at the end of the night, you know, um, or during the break, we would take those off and slide them neatly back into the flip file till the next month. Yeah. Um, you know, we'd made a little bit more money and then we'd upgrade to A3 pieces of paper, you know, because... when you've made it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm on then, A3 a friend, a friend of mine felt sorry for us and he actually sponsored us um, our first banner wall, okay. uh, which was amazing, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, we would... Uh, it was interesting for us, uh, you know, just in terms of, of media and publicity, um, you know, we'd, we'd then go on to be interviewed on, you know, shows like Morning Live, you know, we do a lot of radio interviews because... People were quite interested in the story, you know. Um, one, Goliath and Goliath, uh, these three guys who've come together, you know, nobody really sees, uh, um, you know, everybody always looks at comedians as individuals. Nobody really sees like a pack, yes. you know, three dudes with the same surname. One isn't related. One's from Mutate, he speaks Kosa. So there were layers to our story, which really helped us because um, there was stuff for uh, the media to talk about, which was very cool. Um, and that really started boosting our brand and a lot more people started coming to our shows, you know. At one point, we were running eight gigs a week in Joburg, right? Wow. Eight gigs a week in Joburg uh, we were running because we became known as the comedy guys. Like if you want a great experience, go to these guys because there were, there were elements that we really, really um, stuck to. Like with, with every gig, we'd always have a DJ present. And that DJ would always play like 90s rap music just to set the tone. So um, it doesn't matter what it was. Which coming, back Wu -Tang coming back to Wu-Tang Clan. Coming back to Wu-Tang Clan, you know. So for us, it was always about the vibe. And, you know, um, there'd always be an after party. Uh, you know, people would hang out. And it was so f it was fantastic for me, especially with our Wednesday. Like, it's a Wednesday night. But people hung out because it was just such a vibe, you know. You set it off on such a high note with all this comedy and DJ kicks in immediately afterwards, like the party is there, yeah. you know? And people just loved that so much. Um, and, you know, we eventually started, uh, just to go back to the t-shirts actually, while we're here and I'm thinking about a Wednesday, you know, when we dropped those t-shirts and we started wearing them on stage, oh man, people laughed at us. <laughs> the industry, oh man. Really? Oh, the industry laughed at us, you know? It was just that classic thing of, how arrogant are you guys to put your logo on T-shirts? And, you know, at the time, um, you know, nobody was branding comedy that way. Nobody was doing comedy merch, so, yeah. so to speak. The rappers were doing it. And in my mind, I'm like, yo, why can't comedians do it as well? Yo, they laughed at us, bro. Like comics were just like, what, what the hell? Like we try and give T-shirts to comics and they were like, no, no bro, I'm going to wear your damn T-shirt with you your name on it. You guys are super consistent. Like, I don't think I saw you... In a non-branded shirt for, yeah. for, like, <laughs> for a couple for a of years. very long time. Yeah. Every interview we did, any opportunity where there were people with cameras, you know, you'd see us wearing 
a Goliath and Goliath t-shirt. Maybe a jacket on top to make it feel smart. But exactly. <laughs> so, and I'm not even, yeah, I'm not even kidding. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of pictures like that where, uh, you know, we'd, and you know, if we do a corporate gig, we'd actually ask the client, listen, can we wear a, is it? No, no, can't. Okay. All right. We won't, we won't wear the t-shirt then. Uh, but a couple of months down, um, comics saw our vision and they saw what we were trying to do. And a lot of guys would actually ask us, you know, for t-shirts. And it was, what a heartwarming thing, man, to see another comic go on stage, not even at your gig, at another gig, wearing your brand, yeah. you know, uh, just because they thought it was cool. And that's all we wanted, you know, is for people to see this cool, sexy brand. And, you know, when I designed the CI, when I designed the look and feel of it, I didn't want it to feel like a comedy brand because comedy has a look. I mean, if you go to Google right now and you type in comedy, you're going to see... Um, a classic poster with a red curtain, a cheesy clip art microphone. You know, those are the images that pop yeah. up. And I'm like, Spotlight oh, from above. Exactly. We didn't want it to be like that. We wanted it to be more than that. You know, we just wanted to make something that was just really dope and, um, you know, versatile enough that we could manipulate and it could become anything, you know. And if people wanted to know what we do, uh, it wasn't in your face, you know, that you'd, you'd have to kind of dig deep and really get into the story of what we're all about. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, running running eight gigs in Joburg, we became known as the comedy guys. And um, I don't know if you want to stop me at any point here because I'm about to go into, you know, where we open the club. The I club. Love, I think, I mean, this is, you know, it's so interesting for me hearing how it's gone from like a car wash yeah. to eight gigs in yeah. Joburg. <laughs> uh, and then you set your sights onto... Um, one of the fanciest centers in in Joburg. Yeah, in fact, you know, let me step back a little bit before we even get there. Uh, you know, the thing with comedy is where you really start making money is corporate gigs. And the other thing that separated us from a lot of people, apart from the look and feel, was we would approach corporate clients and sell a trio. So instead of going, instead of having one MC or one comedian, we can give you a package and you can have two comics and an MC or three MCs or three comedians, you know? And naturally clients go, yeah, <laughs> that's a deal, you know? Yeah. But we had to bring our A game every single time. So all three of us really learned to trust each other and to believe in each other. And, you know, we have this thing that we do because there have been many, many occasions where we've gone on stage, the three of us on stage at the same time um, not one after the other, all at the same time, just throwing stuff out. And we've really learned to kind of lay each other up and wherever you feel like, okay, cool, you got to give that person the slam dunk. I'll lay it up for Jason. and Boom, Jason drops the punchline. And that's how we would keep rotating. So mm. we really learned to understand how, how, how we operate. And that was such a big hook for us, um, you know, going forward because we built such interesting like relationships and trust uh, with clients uh, because we were selling value, you yeah. know. Um, but because all three of us had worked before and we understood the corporate environment, we really took our time to understand what the clients' businesses were all about. We really took our time to understand um, what they wanted out of all of this. And, you know, now what I always say to people, like when I go and if I do a corporate gig for somebody, my job isn't to go there and make people laugh. My job is to make the job of the person who booked us easier. Yeah. Because that person is running around making sure that 
the CEO has got a good seat, the food's fine. So I always tell them, don't worry about what's going to happen on stage. I've got that. Yeah. And all that did was make people go, why I'll would I? Again. Yeah, I'm not going to hire anybody yeah. else because one, they can do the job. Two, they make my life easier. I look good at the end of this. And that's how we started playing the game, you know, and so you're kind of getting, corporate gigs. you're getting better at your craft, but you're also starting to sort of form this thing into a real yeah. kind of business. Exactly. You know, we really had to think long term, you know, and because the thing with this industry is there's always a, a new younger guy, a fresher guy who's better and funnier than you are. So you've got to figure out things beyond just jokes, you know, that you can sell to people. Uh, that will really make them buy into you. And we've been very fortunate. I mean, we've got off the top of my head, I'd say about 10 um, clients who, uh, you know, we've been working with for years who keep calling us back and, you know, because they understand what we're going to deliver. Like I say, more than just jokes. And so you've been services. working with them long enough for them to remember what your rate used to be compared to what your rate is yes, now. Yes, absolutely. And it's easy <laughs> It's easy for them to, you know, if we tell them, listen, you know, we, we got this TV show, we got this. Um, so our audience has grown. Naturally, our rate, our rate goes up. But, you know, we've never really had major fights with any of those clients because they understand. They know exactly what we bring. In fact, we've had situations where clients go... Uh, you know, you should ha really have a look at your rate. We think, you know, you're charging too little. We booked this other guy and he charged way too much, but you guys do a lot more. And, you know, we always kind of came in at a lower rate. Yeah. But we're like, if we come in at a lower rate, easy to book us, but we create long-term relationships with you and we build, you know, um, a portfolio of people that we know um, you know, are going to pay our bills and it allows us to experiment. And with... they might let you wear the t-shirt on stage after right? you've done a couple of gigs. <laughs> you know, the other thing with the t-shirts, what we would do is we would call clients up and say, um, okay, cool, you guys are doing an auction or you're doing this or you're doing that. Do you mind if we bring a couple of t-shirts and we can just give those out for free? Which became a really good incentive, you know, for them. We'd give the bosses t-shirts as well. And then, you know, it's a simple little gift, uh, but uh, it really... It really, um, it worked well for us. I mean, I've actually been asked by by Andrea, who, who you know, you did a creative mornings for us a yes. couple of years back and you promised uh, her a t-shirt. Yes. Which you never delivered on. And she, she threw out a snarky comment upstairs just now saying, Okay. Where's my t-shirt? Okay. I'm gonna, and I, I promise I still not to bring it up. But I still, here I, have I am bringing it up for everyone to hear. I, I have that t-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. That's actually the first the first t-shirt I made. Um, in in tech and I printed a whole bunch and I thought people would buy them and they never did <laughs> and now to this day those t-shirts are how old are those t-shirts it would have been in 2004 wow 2004 if we put this thing on eBay how much do you think we could get for it dude priceless I don't know priceless. people yeah we'd have to, so like we'd have to go at least ten dollars like like we'd have to set this up next to like a Banksy Okay. At this point, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where do we start here. <laughs> but um, so so tell us about the the club, kind of moving moving into. Yeah, look, um, wow, man. Even the way the club came about, you know, that was also. It's it's not something that, look, we always spoke about owning a space with our name on it. Never. You know, never, never, never in our wildest dreams that we think that did we think it would be at Malrose Arch on the high street of all places. But Jason, 
got a phone call from Tony, our business partner, um, to say, listen, um, Mal- there's a space that's become available. Um, Malrose Arch would like to would like to do a comedy club. Um, they've approached me because he already has a business. Um, he runs a venue in Malrose Arch. They've approached me to you know to see if I'd be interested in doing this. And your your name came up quite a bit, uh, Goliath and Goliath, because we'd been running a gig at uh, Fire and Ice, Proteo Hotel Fire and Ice, um, every first or last Friday of the month. I can't remember what it was. So we were in the precinct, mm. silently, I guess. And uh, he calls Jason. Uh, they set up this meeting. Uh, meeting ends. Jason calls me to say, hey, man, how's it? So here's the deal. I had a meeting with this guy. He offered us the space. And uh, um, I know I should have consulted you guys, but I didn't. I just said, yes, yeah, cool. We'll take it. And I start freaking out because I'm like, bah, this is... <laughs> This is, uh, I don't know. I don't know about this. You know, this is not, we're out of our LSM this here. This is a big, a big yeah. step up from Bill Fox. <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very different LSM that, that, that we're playing with here. But I've always trusted Jason and believed him, you know. And, um, you know, he, uh, he's always come through with those kinds of things. He really is a, he's an incredible visionary. And he's, he, he just, belie- when, if he wants something and he believes in it, he's always going to go for it and get it, you know. And the team... It's just so strong as well, you know. If 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 somebody comes up with something, and you know, really, when they speak about it, they really speak from their core, and they really want to go for it. We all jump in, and we we put our skills together to really make this thing work, and it's it's worked out for us. I mean, we've had a lot of fails, obviously, and learned from those, and you know, just just carried on. Um, anyway, this thing comes up, and uh, we 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 finally agree, and we say, "Cool, we're gonna do it," and you know then it happens so quickly because we start sitting with the architect and the interior people and they're showing us all these plans and we just like, oh my God, you know, you start freaking out because it's so big and it's in Malrose Arch and all these, excuse me, questions keep coming up. And um, initially, um, Roast Cafe was just supposed to be a coffee shop, you know, <laughs> and people started loving it. There were more and more people hanging out. People kept asking for food and it became a restaurant, you know, yeah. because we needed to have something open during the day, um, you know, to allow for traffic in the space. You can't just have a dormant kind of place that only opens on weekends at night. Um, and yeah, the restaurant came about. We had a fantastic, um, you know, the guy who was running the restaurant at the time, the chef, really came through for us and, you know, created a lot of signature dishes, which people kept coming coming for. I mean, the the cakes were phenomenal. You know, they became a thing. I remember the rainbow cake. Yep, that rainbow cake was a thing, you Seems know. Seems like you guys always good at the signature, like finding some kind of a signature, like the signage, that old school. Yeah, kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. Comedy, American comedy theater it, 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 We wanted to create this because we were in Melrose Arch, you know, and we, we needed to create this this massive, like, international, you know, you are at the Apollo <laughs> appeal. And even inside, you know, one of my favorite comments uh, from anybody who had been to that space for the first time was, you honestly could be anywhere in the world, you know, uh, because nothing about it looked like Joburg. It just felt so premium. Mm. And we, we always described it as Africa's premium comedy club, you know. But what we had done was we had looked at a lot of, you know, the other comedy clubs in South Africa and, you know, we, we kind of, we focused on what they weren't getting right in our opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and we try to really pick on, pick up on those things. So food, for example, had to be a thing because, because of the way we were situated, 
very very difficult place for a lot of people to come to um you know there's a there's a stigma and there's a perception about Melrose Arch um and the audience that we were trying to appeal to weren't necessarily Melrose Arch people um so we really we had to make it a destination spot and instead of a comedy club it had to be a lifestyle option mm. are we going to a restaurant are we going to a movie or are we going to the club tonight so we had to fall into one of those categories you know so when you come there you know that you're going to have great food um you're going to watch great comedy and you get to hang out afterwards and have a drink whatever it is so we catered to all of those things and really started building um you know surprising audiences at times because in the beginning I mean it took us about 3 months we'd have classic Melrose Arch clientele very difficult to perform to those people you know rich people don't laugh from the gut <laughs> and uh you know a lot of the comedians were it would it would be a fight on yeah. stage you know but slowly slowly you know um a lot of our people started coming through from our other gigs people started hearing about it and they you know i think people just felt comfortable then to come to Maros Arch which the precinct really liked as well you know that they were getting in um a lot more people not just to come to the club but to check out the space and be comfortable enough to come to the space What did the what did the club do to the Goliath and Goliath brand? Man, um, you know, so we'd been running this thing for we'd been running gigs for years. You know, we were known as the the comedy guys. Um, but until we'd opened the club, did people taking us people start taking us seriously, sorry, as a business, you know? Uh people started talking money, you know? Uh we were we were on the cover of Destiny Man. uh we were featured in fast company we would have talks with bruce whitfield about money and uh you know jokes being a form of currency which which was really interesting for us you know it's we we learned a lot about that and what a facade can do for your brand you know because we were just doing the same thing that mm. we had done in every other you know gig that we were operating it it's just location and uh bricks and mortar essentially and well it feels like you've been scaling your facade up so it started yeah. with just like a t-shirt <laughs> then it was a4 then it was a3 yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. now it's uh, like a full blown club all That's the way exactly it, you know, but i think it's been um you know i mean it's closed down now um unfortunately uh but a sweet moment for us but it was a really great branding and marketing tool and it really i think did a lot for apart from doing a lot for comedy and a lot for comedians there's a lot of young comics came through and did their first one man shows there um a lot of them did their first paid spots there yeah. you know which is a big deal for a lot of guys you know when you when you're starting out in this thing or when so you're kind of investing back into the yeah. industry and and you know I'm jumping around quite a bit here but you know that's that's always been our thing you know um is we've always wanted to yes we wanted to create a space for um for us to perform on but also for a lot of other young comics to perform on so we've so many people have come through our stages you know and it's the one thing that i think we are most proud about which we don't speak about enough is uh you know platforms that we've created for dudes just to come and do their thing you know um but it really did a lot for comedy for a lot of comedians but i think it did a lot for Goliath and Goliath because going forward you know um you know people we've obviously there's this this thing you know what was created there's a like a um what what do you call it there's a there's a visual in people's minds yes you know um 
you know, if we if we approached anybody and said we'd like to handle this event, uh, you know, whatever event it is, it doesn't need to be in a fixed space. I think people, uh, you know, will trust us to be able to do it based on, you know, your experience on 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 the experience and what we've provided before. So it did a lot for that, but uh, I think it also made relationships with, um, you know, clients that we're currently collaborating with now a lot easier. Um, we're doing a lot of stuff online, you know, with 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 big brands and brands on the come up, um, and there's there's a wonderful trust. You know, they really listen to us and you know take our advice and kind of give us the the lead in terms of creativity and how would you guys do it and what would you suggest here and there, which I really prefer. You know, I'm one of those people who I, I don't like being told what to do. Um, you know, don't don't tell me to to get into um, a speedo and run around like like a clown, you know, just because I, I tell jokes that becomes your perception. No, you know, we, we're very professional, you know, when it comes to this kind of thing. And I think the other thing that the club gave us was to stick to that professionalism and it's now become part of our brand. Yeah. So we've also learned to say no to a lot of people. To the wrong it's things. It's not about money anymore, you know, for us. It's really, once again, thinking long-term and, how do we maintain this thing so when a bigger opportunity comes along, um, you know, it makes sense for, for what we're trying to do. So, I mean, I love, I love kind of what you, you guys have been doing in terms of like thinking about the brand and it's not just about the, the graphics of it and the communication of it. It's like every touch point, mm. like every moment of brand truth has been considered. So the furniture and the food and the experience and the signage and the the marketing of it and you know like yeah. so all of that stuff was kind of well considered and i think mm. it is that the way you've sort of iteratively built this thing up you know like layer by layer by layer by layer making it kind of bigger and bigger yeah you know, in perception over time is is a, a great achievement we've we've also i mean I, I should have mentioned this earlier on but uh <laughs> we've never printed uh posters for lineups it's all been Facebook, you know, we've only ever used social media to build our audiences and to sell tickets, et cetera, et cetera, which um, interesting case study when we think about it now, you know, um, and it came about because we didn't have money yeah. to print posters. You know, it was a big decision for us to go, do we print posters and try and go into newspapers or do we print these T-shirts and disrupt and do something completely different, yes. which is what we did. You and know, break the mold of the it's industry. Worked, it's worked perfectly, and we still stick to social media to this day. It's the one that we really trust. Well, I think this is a great kind of segue for for me into like let's let's break from the story for a moment. And, yeah, uh, I'd love to talk a little bit around your personal Instagram or Instagrams, <laughs> you know, and how you how you because you, you're not only are building the Goliath and Goliath brand, you're mm. also kind of building your own yeah kind of persona or personality as, as like a thing. Can you tell, just talk a little bit about how you're using Instagram? Look, um, you know, with me personally being a creative person, um, I got into comedy and uh, I, you know, you start writing jokes, you start performing quite a bit and, you know, you stop being creative on that front. I mean, comedy is still, it's probably the purest form of creativity ever, you know, because it's so immediate you're coming up with these ideas all the time and your response is immediate mm. you know it's the hardest and scariest form of creativity in my opinion um but i kind of slacked a little bit and stopped uh 
you know, creating. So I moved away from visual communication, mm. which has always been my first love. You know, it's what I studied. It's what I loved growing up. I've always been able to draw. Um, and, uh, you know, I moved away from it quite a bit. And, you know, I got distracted, I guess. But I think I needed to. You know, I really needed to immerse myself in this industry because it is so tough. You don't just fall into it and become, you know, a household name. It takes a lot out of you. It's, you don't wake up Trevor Noah one day. No, you know, that's that's the thing. And, the, you know, Trevor Noah is also such an interesting case study because a lot of people see the end result of Trevor, but nobody goes back to the 10 years Trevor had to do before he left for the States, before, you know, there's all these steps that go all the way back. I mean, Trevor's done his 10,000 hours over and over again. <laughs> over and over again, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, Instagram was becoming a thing. And, uh, you know, in the beginning, if I go all the way back down my timeline, I was just posting a lot of cool pictures because of, you know, good at photography. It's what I do, you know, being in advertising, you understand how to look, what a good visual looks like. So I started using it for what a lot of people were using it for back then, you know, just taking snapshots of their life, essentially. But um uh, you know at the time um instagram walks were a thing the instagram community in yeah. south africa was quite big the likes of gareth pond lebuluk warm um roy you know those guys were killing it you know and i'd go on these things because it was my um the crowd that i was hanging out with went into that the comedy crowd and i needed my fix so i would go on these things just to really get a sense of of this thing again, you know, and hang out with creatives and, you know, people who are taking cool visuals. Um, so there's another, <laughs> there's another phase in my, in my feed where it was really, you know, just these well art directed, you know, iPhone shots. And that's the other thing I committed to taking pics on my phone mm. um, all the time. You know, that was like, I needed to give myself a, um, what would you call it? A, uh, like a brief or a... A brief, essentially. Yeah, and go, you know, to stick to this. Let's see if you can make this thing dope. Can you be a dope iPhone photographer? Which I did, you know, and it was cool for some time. And I'd started building an audience um, who were following me for my cool pics. But then as my comedy brand, I guess, started getting bigger, I'd worked work towards putting together a big one man show, um, you know, successful, I guess. Um, you know, people then started following me because they had seen me, you know, either on TV or they'd seen me perform at whatever show. And that audience wasn't the audience who was appreciating the stuff I was doing, you know, um, uh, the visual stuff I was doing. They just weren't, they just didn't appreciate that. So my, my engagement rate was quite low. So then I then moved on and I started looking at the landscape of, because uh, in my mind I was like, oh shucks, am I becoming a, <laughs> a bit of a, a bit of a face and a name, you know, in the industry? Am I am I am I becoming a little bit of a celebrity here? Yeah. You know, so naturally, where would you put yourself? Like C grade, B grade, A grade? I don't know. I don't even think I'm like under the grades. Like I'm not <laughs> even there yet. Yeah. You're still in the standards. Yeah, yeah, standard grades. You know, definitely not up there. Um, and you know, I started the natural thing where, you know, you start posting pics of yourself at events and you know, what you're wearing, you know, the classic stuff that all of the guys do, which, which is cool because essentially if you're a famous person, you know, people want to see you and what you're doing in your life. But I got so frustrated because that's, I just, I found it very boring, you know, mm. and very standard and it's what everybody else was doing. And I really needed to sit down and kind of create something that. 
I um, actually created, but that anybody who was following me could appreciate it. So the people who appreciate creativity and design and all those cool visual things, and the people who just appreciate funny, I guess, and something different, you know, so I was kind of catering to everyone who was following me, um, you know, on my Instagram. So I, you know, just mashed the two worlds together. So I was like, how do I create a visual language that uh, combines my love for design and art direction and layouts, whatever you want to call it, uh, but also, you know, throw in some visual gags. That's what I do. You know, I'm a comic. I, I do funny things. And I'm meant to do funny things. I have to keep that. That's what your audience wants. Yeah, that rhythm has to keep flowing, you know. And um, so I just mashed the two worlds together and created something different. And, you know, every day I sit and brainstorm these crazy ideas on, on you know, little visual tricks and gags that I can come up with. And I'm also one of those people who, you know, they always talk about, oh, you got to find your thing, you know, you got to find your one thing and stick to it. It's got to look the same. I can't do that, you know. I come up with a million different ideas all the time. Every single time, even now, you know. Um, and so I, my feed is full of characters that I do because it's one of my strengths. I do impersonations. It's full of uh, simple little design tricks. Um, it's I do this spoof on fashion um, posters, you know, where I switch up the logo a little bit according to what I think is funny. And yeah, like what, what's nice about that is people, I now have groups of people who um, look forward to particular posts and not necessarily my entire feed. Yes. So there's little posts for They're everyone. For something. Yeah, yeah, like I was always... mentioning the, the Skype calls. Or oh the, yeah, the, the face, FaceTime the calls FaceTime to calls. celebrities. The weird thing about that is, right, you know how many people actually believe it? There's some people who go, oh man, you're so dope. Like, uh, you know, you're so lucky, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I wonder, are they? They so really do believe it. Coming here, like bigger, <laughs> putting up this front that's bigger than, yeah, exactly. <laughs> bigger than the reality, and then you grow into it, and then you move on to the exactly. The next front. But I, you know what it is for me. I was, I just needed to find something that I enjoy, and I enjoy making those things. You know, I enjoy having fun on the platform and not taking it so seriously. Um, I enjoy, uh, you know, all the new little things they keep coming up with. I always try and find an alternative use for it versus just the standard you know let's slap this on here let's do this this way i always try and you know figure out what are the little so so do you find that some of the experiments that you've done there have translated into the marketing that you do for for the main brand sometimes you know sometimes you know i i i I, um it's very weird because right now you know the thing that we sell predominantly now um, apart from the three of us so the three of us are Goliath and Goliath, and mm. then we've got off of that uh, one or one of the arms off of that is is the club. And you can't be too too clever with the marketing of that stuff because you know we've 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 realized that people just don't read. Like I could put a picture up of a lineup, so all their faces are there, all their names are there, date, time, venue, and somebody will still ask who's on and what time. Yeah. You know, so you also try and not be too clever with it. Just try and keep it as simple and as basic as possible pure communication and know your audience and yeah exactly yeah we've really learned to like hone in and know oh, our nice. audience you know so i leave a lot of the fun creative stuff to my personal brand um and with all three of us you know and that's the power of goliath and goliath is you know you can go into my profile jason's profile and nicholas's profile They're all very different nicholas is a dad you know is very family oriented so that's what you're going to find on his profile jason loves cars 
Um, he's just recently got married, so his feed has now turned into that kind of thing, mm. you know. So um, we build our own personalities, but our thing has always been whoever goes out, any one of the three of us who goes out and performs, you represent the team, yeah. you know, you represent Goliath and Goliath, that's it, you know. So um, as much as we are all different, we essentially we are, you know. The same thing. We're really just the same thing. So, I mean, we're basically out of time, but I'd like to just kind of come full circle and, and can you talk just kind of a little bit about the Marvel Comedy Club and, yep. and, and how this is one of the new kind yep. of things that you're doing. Yeah, so the Melrose Comedy Club uh, shut down. Goliath Comedy Club in Melrose shut down and, you know, we opened Melville. So Melville was actually operating while Melrose, you know, was 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 still running. Uh, beautiful space. Part it's, it's part of an amazing courtyard. It's called the Melville um, Yard. So it's us. There's a French uh, bistro. There is a Turkish restaurant and um, a wonderful coffee shop on the corner. And... Uh, behind all of this, there's this massive courtyard, which is such a wonderful new addition, I think, to Melville, um, which which is is cleaning up its act quite a bit. Mm. You know, that street is really becoming... Um, feeling nice. Feeling nice again, you know. And so we needed to jump in then, you know, see what we could do in terms of comedy. And for us, it's a, it's a much smaller space. There's no food, which which was a bit of a headache, you know, to handle. There's no food and what we encourage because we're a community that you get there early, you go and have something to eat um, and then come to the comedy and afterwards you can go and grab a drink across the road, which we really like. We like that aspect of people just doing a lot of things in the same space or same area. It's a lot more manageable for us and we like the rawness of it. So there's no smoke and mirrors. Um, there's no fancy lights. There's no glitz in this one. It's very raw um, and I think it allows for an interesting comedy experience because um, unlike the other club where people were paying, um, you know, a relatively high entrance fee, uh, lineups were very, very, very specific. We really had to put guys on who we knew would deliver. So you can't take a risk. And no, no, no. The so, money they're throwing down. No, you know, and but with this one, we allowed it's a lot more free. We allow so there'd be a guy who'd never, never done comedy before and he'll be part of a lineup with, a dude like Luis Ocola, Riyad Musa, whoever it is on the lineup, which is an interesting dynamic, you know. Um, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, the show is a lot tighter, you in in and out. Um, it's, it's also going to allow us to play around with a lot more concepts like, you know, late night shows. Um, there's an improv thing that we're working on as well. So Nicholas Goliath is handling that with a couple of other guys who run an improv night uh, we've got an open mic night as well. So this space is actually going to allow us to be a little bit more experimental with it and, um, you know, once again, cater to various audiences and mm. give them a lot more choice, you know, in terms of what they would like to see. Yeah, I think it's just, I mean, like, thank you so much for coming on. I think it's rad how you've kind of, you created something authentic and it's kind of evolved and you've always kind of been cognizant around it and it feels like you've kind of almost come full circle back, back to, to the beginning kind of like the beginning yeah. but with a much more you know like all the knowledge and all the experience yeah. that you've gained uh, like it's, ex back it's exactly that the, man. the beginning and you're kind of doing it all yeah all over again thanks man i really appreciate it you know we never we never have enough time um to tell our story you know so any opportunity we can get to really flesh it out from beginning to end because we've been so busy with many things you know people always like focus on one particular area and for us, it's always been the Goliath Comedy Club. But mm. I think it's always cool to know or for people to know 
the process and how we actually got there that it didn't just fall on our laps. You know, we really need needed to make a lot of noise um, beforehand and yeah. set ourselves up to be given that opportunity essentially yeah, you were very intentionally knew your audience you yeah you built for who you were building for and yeah you've kind of carried that through yeah thanks awesome, bro dude. i really appreciate this thank you very much take care bye thank you for listening we believe sharing knowledge is an obligation so if you know someone who would benefit from useful insights to stay relevant in the world of creativity brand innovation technology and interacting in this new world please share this podcast with them On top of that, we welcome feedback, good or bad. So if you've got some, please reach out to us. One more question is brought to you by the people at NiceWork, a branding and service design company in Johannesburg, South Africa. If you would like to chat about the challenges you're facing, reach out at www.nicework.co.za. We release an episode every week, so please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're really old school, hit us up and we'll make you a mixtape.